You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Oh, good morning, everyone. Wow. Lots of energy. Good morning and welcome to church this morning. Good morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this morning, we're uh, carrying on in a series that we started a number of weeks ago on what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And that's uh, this uh, teaching that Jesus gives us uh, in Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. And in this Sermon on the Mount, we discover the most important teaching a human being could ever receive. And why do I say this? Well, because it's taught by the smartest, the wisest person who's ever lived. And it's an invitation to us to flourish as human beings. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has arrived. He says, turn away from a life that is not delivering and turn to me because I'm the author of life and live. And so this morning, Jesus invites you and me into a world, a way of living, a life that will change our life for good and for the good. And so we're making our way through the first part of this Sermon on the Mount. And the first part is called the Beatitudes. Um, it's uh, the word beatitude, we've talked about this, comes from uh, this Latin word that's translated as blessed. And it's a blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And uh, we talked about this. The word that's translated as blessed is a tricky word. Um, it could be blessed. It could mean, you know, the idea of congratulations or it could be uh, flourishing are the meek or flourishing are those who mourn. Um, I like the idea of... Um, of blessed being in sync, that we are in sync with Jesus and his ways. And so we're going to look at the Beatitudes. Uh, we're going to look at the fourth Beatitude in particular. Uh, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to begin with a test. <laughs> yes, I'm going to be testing you. Yes. Now, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, but don't look at it. All right, so open it and then stop looking at it, okay? So turn to Matthew chapter 5, in honor of God's word, let's stand together. Now this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the first half of the Beatitude, and I want you to say the second half, okay? Now you have different, tra- I can see some of you like, okay, uh, so I'll, I'll read the first half. You say this, now some of you are like, hey man, I've never even heard of a Beatitude. Yeah, you're exempt from the exam, that's okay. Um, but see how you do. Now, some of you will have different translations, so it may sound a little bit different, but let's give it a shot. You ready? Ready? Okay, here we go. Let's start. All right. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, oh, come on. Okay. That's your free one, all right? You got one free mark. Okay, next one. Blessed are those who mourn. Good. I heard that, yeah. Blessed are the meek. Oh, that was a slam dunk, that one. Okay. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Was that? Well, that'll be satisfied. Yes, yes, yes. Blessed are the merciful. Okay. All right, here's a hard one, all right? Blessed are the pure in heart. Oh, wow, that was well done. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, okay, yeah, I heard a few of you. Good. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard one, yeah. So it comes full loop, right? So it begins with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and it comes full loop, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The last line I'll just read. Uh, Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we do pray that you would speak to us. You're not a philosophy, you're not a worldview, you're not a set of ideas or propositions, but you are personal and you are Lord, and you are the God who speaks. And so help us to hear and respond to whatever you say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so this morning, our beatitude... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Um, It's all about hungering and thirsting. And it gets at something that we've all heard before. You've heard the expression, you are what you eat. Um, I think it certainly is true when it comes to the realm of the mind and the spirit. If you hunger and thirst for things that, well, are not good for you, it will affect the person you're becoming. Now, in, in, in the Bible, this you are what you eat, there's another way of expressing that, and it comes, shows up all throughout the Old Testament, and it's this, you become what you worship. You become what you worship. And that's why in the Bible, idolatry is a big deal, because idols are dead. And, and an idol, what is an idol? An idol is, is anything or anyone that you give ultimate value to. Okay, so this is really key. It's what you give ultimate value to. And in the Old Testament it says, if you give ultimate value to anyone or anything other than God, it's dangerous because these are idols, they're dead. And when you worship something that's dead, if you give your life to something that cannot deliver cannot bear the weight of your soul, it will do a number on you. It will kill you. And here Jesus, he he directs our appetites. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, what does he mean by this? Let me say what what, what he doesn't mean. This beatitude is not saying, blessed are those who feel that they are righteous. Now, the reality is, the righteous are blessed by God, for sure, but that's not what this beatitude is about. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who are declared righteous. Though, again, the Bible would affirm that because of God's grace, through faith, we have been declared righteous in in, in the Father's eyes. But again, this is not the point of the beatitude. So what is this beatitude saying? Well, I think it's saying this. Blessed are those who, even though they know that they are not righteous, are nevertheless hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Let me say that again. Blessed are those who, even though they know they are not righteous, are nevertheless hungering 
and thirsting for righteousness. And one of the things you need to realize is in this uh, beatitude, there's an intensity. And again, we, it doesn't always show up in, in, in the English translation, but this is this picture. Blessed are those who are deeply hungry, who are, who are just so thirsty for righteousness. And part of our challenge in Canada is that when we talk about being thirsty, like when are we really, really, really that thirsty? Like when we say, oh, I'm so thirsty, it's just like, I'm no longer thirsty, right? I'm so hungry, you know, have a Mars bar. I'm no longer hungry. Like it's not that hard. In the first century, though, in the first century um, in, in, in Palestine, along with many parts of the world today, this kind of intense hunger and intense thirst are continual. And you actually, you hear this in the Psalms. In the, in, in the Psalms, you, you come across this one Psalm that says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So there's a real intensity conveyed in this beatitude. The other thing is, is, is just a reminder that this beatitude is not some natural characteristic that we can have. So, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, this, this beatitude is directed to those guys who are, you know, pretty, they care a lot about what's going on in the world, and they'll often go to demonstrations downtown or whatever. So it's, it's for those kind of, you know, social justice kind of people. No. In the same way, blessed are those who mourn are not for the melancholic. Blessed are those um, who are, blessed are the meek. It's not for, you know, mild-mannered. This is not about one's personality. These are qualities for those who have tasted the kingdom of God. It's, it, this is what happens, this is what happens when we are gospelized, when the kingdom of God grabs hold of us. And so what is happening here? Well, this beatitude is describing the reality that occurs when we realize our utter helplessness, when we see the issues of our heart, when we see the problems of this world, and we begin to hunger and thirst for change. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What in the world is righteousness? I mean, it's a word that shows up quite a bit in, in the Bible, right? Righteousness. We had, uh, last week at the men's retreat, we had Rick Watts, who's from Australia, and he kept saying, righteous, righteous, right? You know, everything about righteous. But it's a word that shows up. It comes up everywhere. But let me ask you this question. What comes to mind, or how do you feel when you hear the word righteous? Right. Right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, that's good, yeah. What else? One with God, okay. Perfect, yeah. So there's a standard that's kind of being implied, maybe? Does anybody say, righteous? Oh, I feel so drawn to this. Okay. I'll tell you, when I hear the word righteous, I feel overwhelmed. I often, like, that's my first instinct when I hear the word righteousness. Uh, I, I feel like Martin Luther did back in the, in the 1500s. Martin Luther, Martin Luther uh, wrote this when he, heard, when he was talking about the word righteous. Do you know what he said? He says, I hated the word. I hated the word righteous. The righteousness of God. 
Because I, I was taught that God is righteous and he punishes the unrighteous. And guess who I am? The unrighteous sinner. And so he said, I felt overwhelmed by this word. And a lot of people, when they look at the word righteousness, they see it as a weight, as, as uh, an expectation or a standard to live up to. Okay, I'm going to try really hard to be righteous. I'm trying to be righteous, and, but now I'm giving up because it's just too hard. Now, the problem is, is we come across this word not just in the Old Testament. We come across this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, some, many commentators would say that the, the center of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the key verses of the entire Sermon on the Mount, is Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And this is when Jesus says these words. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the religious elite of Jesus' day, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, great. Oh, great, thanks. Now I'm really intimidated. I like, honestly, me, David Wood, whose mind goes off in different directions at the slightest provocation, who whines and complains about deep hardships like how his hockey team is doing in the playoffs right now. Um, like, I mean, this is the way my mind works. And now I'm told, no, 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 David, your righteousness needs to, <laughs> it needs to be like that of, the, of, of people in the first century who all they cared about was being righteous. That my righteousness is not just to look like the scribes and the Pharisees of the first century who really thought about righteousness. No, no, no. It's not just, has, it has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees of the first century. And, and, and I look at that and I think, I'm dead. I am toast. I don't stand a chance. I really don't. Unless, unless, unless Jesus is saying something that I, I'm not quite sure of. What is Righteousness. What well, actually comes down to another word, and this is really important for us. And this other word also begins with R. And it's the word relationship. Right relatedness is what righteousness is all about. And so we have to get this, otherwise, we are in a lot of trouble. If we don't get this, yeah, we can go down some really bad paths. Righteousness is not about living up to some impossible standard, but what righteousness is, is living faithfully to the claims of a relationship. Let me give you an example. A husband is righteous if he lives up to the claims of a marriage covenant. A citizen is righteous if she lives out the expectations of being a citizen of Canada. A student is righteous if, if he hands his assignments in on time. I have students who are not very righteous these days. Um, <laughs> a professor is righteous if he marks his papers on time. Okay, I also struggle with that too. But it's all about living rightly. It's about living rightly in right relatedness with God. And that's why Paul, who's a guy who wrote uh, much of the New Testament, 
Um, he calls the Ten Commandments, you know the Ten Commandments, he calls the Ten Commandments the law of righteousness. He, he does this in, in Romans chapter 10. Because the Ten Commandments, which by the way begin with grace, you have to realize that, they begin with God, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery, right, out of the land of Egypt, begins with grace. The, what were the Ten Commandments all about? We actually walked through this last year. The Ten Commandments is what it looks like to live in right relatedness with God and with our neighbors, right? So you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take my name in vain, those sorts of things. It, it describes what it means to be in sync with God and his ways. And that's why Jesus could say what he says about the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, we need to get this. It needs to exceed this because the Pharisees and the scribes didn't really get it. They didn't know what righteousness was ultimately all about. Because for the scribes and the Pharisees, what was righteousness? Righteousness was an external conformity to a set of rules. And the thing is, they would try their best to conform to the set of rules. They would, they would do their best to live up to the standard. But they also knew that really they didn't have to live up to the highest standard. All they had to do is, is, to, is to be good or, or, or at least to be better than you. So I can live up to the standard. I don't have to live it all the way up, but I just need to do a better job than you. And then compared to you, I'm pretty righteous. And what's that called? Self-righteousness. And one guy, E. Stanley Jones, he says, he says, nothing is more beautiful than righteousness. And he says, nothing is more hideous than self-righteousness. See, the problem with self-righteousness, the, the, the problem with, you know, trying to align my life to this outward conformity to a bunch of rules and regulations is that I, over time I realize, man, I can't, I can't do this. So what I'm going to do is, again, I'm going to be better than you, do a better job than you, or at least make you think that I'm doing a good job. And so, you know, my Instagram posts will have me doing, you know, shoveling and, and, and you know, helping out, helping my neighbor. This is me helping my neighbor. And, and I'll post all these things. And she's like, wow, he's pretty righteous. But it's just a facade. It's just image control. And that's what happens. Because if you're trying to live up to the standards, you can't do this. So the best you can do is at least look like you're doing it. Oh, my. With the help of social media, we're on our way, Right? But Jesus, he's getting to the heart. Because, you know, I could say, I could say, or a person could say, you know, technically, technically, I did not sleep with that woman who is not my wife. I did not commit adultery. I'm righteous. Now, I fantasize about her every night, but I don't sleep with her. I, did not, I, 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 I didn't commit adultery. Now, Jesus is going to get to this, right? Or technically... Technically, my neighbor, who I really don't like, um, he really annoys me, but I never punched him. I never hit him. I could have, but I did not because I am a righteous person. Right? I did not punch my neighbor. Now, I talk about him behind his back, but <laughs> technically I did not hit him. 
so I'm, I'm righteous, right? Oh, man, our, our, yeah, we, we, can, we can go down. There. And so it's, it's funny, once we start going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to say, all right, let's get, we got to get to the heart. Because that's what he recognizes, the Pharisees and the scribes, they didn't get the heart. They're all about this. And Jesus, no, 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 it's about your heart. You call your neighbor an idiot. That's, 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 a, that's an issue. It's an issue of the heart. So what ought this righteousness look like? What is this righteousness? Well, I was listening to um, uh, our man, Daryl Johnson. Uh, he's a pastor in Vancouver, and he's kind of mandatory to quote in every sermon. Um, <laughs> we love Daryl. He came and spoke to us as a staff, and he helped us kind of get our heads around uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And he mentioned something I think that's quite helpful uh, to our understanding of this. He describes how Scripture lays out four basic relationships that are integral to our flourishing as human beings. He says, um, these four relationships are so important, they're laid out in Genesis 1 and 2, right at the very beginning of the Bible. And here are the four relationships. One, we are made to have relationship with the earth. Meaning we are physical, material, ecological beings that we are, like our bodies matter. Our bodies really matter. We are not brains encased in a shell. We are our bodies. And so just incidentally, this whole transhumanist idea that somehow technology will arrive at a certain level and that I can take my brain and upload it into a computer and thus live forever is, how can I put it, dumb. Um, Because... Because, because we are not our brains, right? We are not just our brains. We are our bodies. Our bodies matter. The other thing about this is it tells us, and I've said this before, every follower of Jesus Christ needs to be on the front foot in taking care of this planet. We should be on the front foot on creation care to be good stewards over God's good earth. So we're made for a right relationship with the earth, Secondly, we're made for a right relationship with other human beings. Now, this is a dated illustration, but we are not Marlboro men. Does anybody know what a Marlboro man is anymore? These old commercial Marlboro cigarettes, and he says, I'm a Marlboro man. I don't need anybody, right? I just got my horse, got my gun. Just that's all I need, right? And a Marlboro man doesn't need anyone. They're all by themselves. But, Scripture says, it's not good for a person to be alone. And I was reading, actually, last week in the BBC, talked about one of the new epidemics of the world is, what? Loneliness, yeah. And the effects of loneliness are as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah. And um, governments are now seeing and treating loneliness as seriously as obesity and drug abuse. And loneliness increases the risk of premature death by almost 30%. You know that? Now, biblically, this should not surprise us because nowhere in the Bible does it say we are individuals. We are not individuals. We are persons. It's a big difference. To be a person means to be a person in relationship. That we are not meant to be these isolated, atomized individuals, but we are persons in relationship. Which should not surprise us because the very, per, the very nature of God is three and one and one and three, right? Thirdly, we are made for a right relationship with the self. We are psychological creatures. We are originally designed to stand open and transparent before each other, before God, without shame. And so we are to be in, in, in sync with, with, with who we are. 
Now, the problem is, is a lot of people in our world have no sense of self. If you have no sense of self, if you don't know who you are, what do you do? Well, you create an image of who you think you want to be and you project it. And that's what so much of self-image is is all about in our culture today. Everything is about putting forward, you know, these images of who we are. But behind it is is an emptiness. Because we don't know who we are. Now, the scripture says we only knew who we are when we're related to God. Which is the fourth relationship. We are made for a right relationship with the living God of the universe. And it's this relationship that affects all the other ones. We are made to be in a holistic relationship with our creator who loves us deeply. And so the Bible is the story of these four relationships and how they're broken, and then how through Jesus and through the coming of his kingdom, this can be restored. And so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness describes a gospelized person, describes a person who desires to restore each one of those relationships. Our guy, Rick Watts, last week, as he was walking us through Ephesians, he was describing that the book of Ephesians uh, in the New Testament is all about describing this new humanity. This new humanity is, 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 is a humanity that is reconciled. It's all about reconciliation. Reconciled to God, reconciled to each other, reconciled to the world. And the reason why those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed is because they're reflecting the very heart of God for right relatedness, for wholeness and for flourishing. And so when I desire to seek reconciliation with someone who hurt me, or if I said something hurtful towards someone else, that desire to be at peace, that desire to reconcile with another human being is part of God's desire, good good desire for this world. You know, and honestly, I mean, this is... This is why, on one hand, I'm a little bit nervous about going to the Middle East. But on the other hand, there's, there's so much need there. Apparently, there's a lot of conflict in the Middle East. I don't know if you know. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of conflict between people. But there's also a, a, a disconnect between people and God. And uh, to go and, and, and to teach and to, to lay out... Um, the vision of this kingdom and, and to help pastors turn around and then minister to the congregations. My goodness, that's, that's, that's quite the opportunity. And, uh, you know, I'm quite humbled but nervous to be part of this team. The other thing is, is just locally, uh, one of the areas where you see a lot of breakdown, a lot of relational breakdown is in marriages. And that's why I would highly recommend you or to tell your neighbors about uh, next Saturday we have a marriage conference happening here. This is going to be really good, and it's going to be all about reconciliation and building strong relationships between couples who are married. Okay, so what does Jesus say about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they what? They shall be satisfied. When will we be satisfied, Jesus? Well, Jesus teaches us that we can begin to receive some satisfaction now. When you and I enter into the kingdom of God, our passions begin to change. Things that we wouldn't pay attention to before, we begin to pay attention to. You start to look up. You start to notice things that you haven't noticed before. You start to see broken relationships and your heart begins to break, begins to mourn. And a hunger and thirst grows and you desire right relatedness. 
And here's the thing. If you have a friend, if you have a neighbor, if you have a parent, or if you have kids that and you're, there's, there's, there's issues with, and your desire is to seek reconciliation, this is a desire that comes right from the kingdom of God. This is part of being a gospelized person. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I, I'm not there yet. I'm still mad at my friend, or I'm still mad at my kids, or I'm still mad at my classmate, or whoever it happens to be. Okay. Then let this be your prayer. God, may I hunger and thirst to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because there's no sense faking it. There's no sense, oh, God, I desire righteousness. He knows you don't, right? <laughs> it's not like you're fooling God. Oh, I didn't know that you weren't hungry. No, he knows where your heart's at, right? So if it's, if it's not there, you just say, hey. And I've done this. Like, Lord, help me to want to do this. Begin where you're at. And what will happen, though, it's a dangerous prayer, because once you start doing that, then your heart will begin to change. And as your heart begins to change, and then you take steps to, to, to enter into right relationships with people, what will happen is you'll get a taste for it. And you'll get a taste for more. So it's like anybody who's ever comes to my Tuesday night class, you'll know that one of those cookies that Andrea makes is really good. But you want a second one. And a third one, right? And so this hunger is going to continue to grow. But begin where you're at. and Say, God, I'm not hungering this, but my desire is to. Now here's the invitation this morning. You can receive ultimate satisfaction now by getting in sync with Jesus. Because ultimately, he's the one our souls hunger for. And thirst for, even though we may not know it. He is our reconciliation, even though we may not know it. And he reconciles us to the earth, to one another, to ourselves, but most importantly, to God through the cross. There's a time where Jesus, he meets this uh, Samaritan woman at, at, at a well. And, and usually men do not speak to women, let alone to Samaritan women in the first century. Uh, a rabbi wouldn't do this. But the woman was thirsty and Jesus says to her, Ask of me, and I will give you living water. And so he says to you this morning, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? If you're thirsty, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and drink. And the problem with our world and, and I include the, the church, we fall into this, is that, you know, in the words of an old song, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> we're, we're, we're looking, you know, to be satisfied from things that will not deliver. There's a guy named uh, G.K. Chesterton in the early 20th century. He says, you know, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is actually looking for God. And we're looking, we're looking for this. We're looking for, for meaning. We're looking for life in all the wrong places. Jesus says, hey, hey, I know you're thirsty. I get it. You're thirsty. You're not gonna, it's, it's not gonna be quenched there. It's not gonna be quenched there. You go onto that porn site, it's not gonna quench that thirst that you have. I am the living water. You come to me. Come to me and live. There's an old old hymn that goes, I heard the voice of Jesus say, behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank 
of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. And so your invitation this morning is come to Jesus. And some of you have not come to him before, or some of you have not come to him for a long time. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then we're actually going to do something else. We're going to actually come and take the Lord's Supper, which is another way of coming to Jesus, right? But let's pray first. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you recognizing that we are completely dependent upon you. You are the author of life. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You are living water. You are the bread of life. All these descriptions just tell us that in you we live. And we confess that we, were, we have been looking for love in all the wrong places. We have been um, pursuing things that do not deliver. And as a result, it's like, you know, chewing on sand. And we're just getting more and more thirsty, more and more hungry. Jesus, you say to us this morning, come to me and drink living water. Come to me and eat the bread of life. And you'll never hunger and thirst again. In you, Jesus, we have satisfaction. And so... I lift up each person here to you this morning. You hear their hearts cry. They're thirsty and hungry in a dry and weary land. Hear their hearts cry. Jesus, we come. We come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.